We are in a study of the life of David. And we've come to that moment, uh, kind of that, that real, in fact, in my Bible, so in my Bible they put little paragraph chapter headings. The chapter heading for this is Bathsheba, David's great sin. Oh. What I want to remind you of this morning, first and foremost, is that when we think of David, I mean, he's, he, he's not a sexual pervert. He is not, uh, he, he's not, you know, doing uh, girls gone wild. He, he, he's got an issue. We're, we're going to get to that. But the truth is, remember what we've been told about David? He is a man after God's own heart, right? When Samuel went to Saul and God's taken the kingdom away from you and given it to another because he sought for himself a man after God's own heart. How can it be that David is a man after God's own heart and yet we looked at last week and, you know, he kind of not being a good father he's not being a good husband now this big issue with Bathsheba of sin that leads to that leads to even murder and yet he's a man after God's own heart see what I want to encourage you with today is this is the reality is David's just like us Hopefully today you're here, you love Jesus, you, you walk with him. But, but here's the thing, we all have those pieces of brokenness in our life. I mean, because we're all people of passion, right? Like God made us to have, be people of passion. The problem is, is temptation comes and the opportunity to fill that passion outside of the boundaries that God has set. For instance, for some, the passion kind of runs in that idea of the, the, the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Now for David, it was kind of sexual in nature. He, he liked women, all right? Some of you, that's where you're at. For some, it's the lust of the flesh, but it's not so much, you know, sexual in nature. It's more like chocolate chip cookies in nature, right? It, it's, man, it feels good to eat that way. Or it feels good to, to maybe always be relaxing, might even to the point of being lazy. Lust of the flesh. For some, man, those, those aren't issues. Those aren't stuff they struggle with but where they struggle is lust of the eyes to have the nice new shiny stuff to have the new cars the bigger house you know bigger and better is always the way to go and to have all of that and always the newest stuff and that's that thing that that again nothing wrong with that when you, except when you do it outside of God's boundaries. And for others they don't have an issue with that. What they struggle with is that that idea of pride of life, arrogance, uh, the issues of look at me, I want to be somebody. And, you know, obviously we're saying today of who we are in Christ, but you get outside of those things. And that's the things with passion. Within the way God created it, there's nothing wrong, but it's outside. And that's where temptation comes. And, folks, you better know what that area of weakness, of, of 
temptation is in your heart because I can tell you your enemy knows what it is. I mean, if you don't like chocolate chip cookies, they're not going to show up in front of you. I can smell them 100 miles away. I mean, you know, it's just an enemy knows, so you better know. And so today, whatever that, that thing that is kind of that weakness, that passion that is just kind of trips you up, we're going to talk about temptation today and dealing with it. And, and obviously, again, David, it was more in sexual in nature. But there's good truth here to, to be reminded of. And if you think, hey, I don't need this, can I just remind you what Paul told us in 1 Corinthians? Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed that he does not fall. You know, the moment you think, hey, it's not a problem for me, I've got it all under control, is probably the, the moment that you're heading for disaster. So let's talk about the temptation. Let's read the first three verses here of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings were going out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and the one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now the first thing I want to remind you about today is that temptation is not sin. We're all tempted. We're all in that point where the enemy is trying to trip us up, and temptation itself is not sin. So the idea of walking and, oh, there's a beautiful woman, that's not sin. Or, ah, oh, there's a naked woman taking a bath is not sin. Or, ah, there's a chocolate chip cookie, and it looks really good, by the way. It's not sin. We all face temptation. In fact, James puts it like this, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's that passion. Then when lust has conceived, ah, we don't deal with the temptation right. It gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. By the way, that's every time and in every way. That's what it does. So the point is, we're all going to be tempted, but we don't all have to sin. And the Bible gives us really clear ways about how to deal with temptation. You know what it is? Run! There's a naked woman. Run! There's a chocolate chip cookie. Run! You know, the whole idea here is don't, don't sit there and, and invite the temptation to to sit there and coddle the temptation, to see how close we can get to the temptation without stepping over whatever line that we shouldn't step over. It's the idea of run. Remember when we studied in 1 Corinthians, those Christians lived in a very sin-sick culture, and Paul reminded them, flee immorality. Run! Just run from every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, but the sin of the immoral man is against his own body. You think when he's talking to Timothy, his young son in the faith, 
And he's talking about the same idea of temptation. And he says, now flee from youthful lust. Run. But here's the beauty of it. It's not just run from the temptation. It's what you're to run to. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Run to the Lord. Seek the Lord. And notice, with those who call on the Lord out of the pure heart, you also run to community. You run to people of like mind. You run to people who can come alongside and help you be strong and be accountable. How do you deal with temptation? You run from it. You run to Jesus. You run to people who could stay and, and help you and build strength in you. You run. And here's the thing about temptation. Temptation is always about that thing which touches our passions, but it's always built on a lie. Ah, this will satisfy you. This will, this will meet your need. You know, if you just got that car... Oh, then you'd be happy. I mean, David's got, man, he's got a harem full of wives. But man, if you just have Bathsheba, wow, that will satisfy you. And it's a lie. In fact, when we step out of God's parameters for our passions and we, we walk into that sin, it doesn't satisfy. In fact, all it does is it inflames passions. That's what it does causes us to even want more see sin sin is a trap sin is bondage sin you know that whole idea of you know pornography today you know it's it's this all you can express yourself and and and, you know nobody will know and it won't hurt and yet man you know quite honestly same thing with drugs and alcohol again whatever it is stuff that's why they call it addiction Because it doesn't satisfy. It traps. It brings into bondage. Some of you know that today. So what, how do you combat that? Well, you've got to live in truth. You've you got you to speak truth to your mind. Paul in 2 Corinthians says, We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Now, I was thinking about that this week. If there is one sentence in the Bible that in this moment in time captures our culture that you and I live in, it is that sentence. Because our culture is given all kinds of speculation that, you know what, you can choose kind of, you know, what gender you want to be. You can, you can love whoever, any way that you want. It's the speculation. is The knowledge is lifted up against the knowledge of God. And it's saying that's the way to go. If the Bible and God says it's good, our culture is saying it's bad. And if God says it's bad, our culture is saying it's good. We're living in a culture of lies and if you look at our culture you see people in misery and despair and despondency and suicide is rampant folk you and i because we know jesus we know truth and so what he says we are destroying the lies the speculation the lofty things raised up against the knowledge of god and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of christ Ah, naked woman. Yes, 
But man, that is gonna, that's going to create issues. That's not going to satisfy. That's not going to deliver what is promised. Chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's probably going to taste good in the moment. But tomorrow, ah, tomorrow we'll regret it. You take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Here's the thing about temptation. One of the things that you see here even with David is that moral failure, big moral failure, really very seldom happens in an instant. You know, sadly, over nearly 40 years of ministry, as I've walked with people and cried with them and tried to help them put their lives back together, and sometimes in the midst of it, I've tried to talk sense into them and and never yet have I found somebody who was walking with Jesus, who was walking circumspect in their life, who was running from temptation, who just one day just decided on a whim they were going to screw up their life, they're going to screw up their marriage, they're going to destroy their family. I haven't seen it. Typically what you find is, no, 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 it seemed to have come out of the blue, but when you start talking, man, their, their relationship with the Lord has been growing cold. There's been little flirtations. You know, there, there's that, that person that worked a couple uh, deaths down. And instead of fleeing, you know, they started looking for ways to kind of come by. They, the flirtation has gone on. It's just, you, you think about David. That's what's happened with David. In fact, what's really interesting is he met a beautiful woman who was a wife before. Her name was Abigail. She was married to a guy by the name of Nabal, but David didn't go sleep with her. When he died, he took her to be his wife, but he understood that. But now he's taking more wives, more concubines. Remember, there were one, then there was three, then there were seven, and then there was a boatload more. And now here is the wife of Uriah. Rye is still alive, but he takes it. Why? Because this thing has been happening gradually. Some of you think you're managing your sin. You know, you got the little porn piece going. You got, you know, man, you're, just, you're buying all the, the, the really, you know, latest, greatest things. You think, man, I've got this under control. I know where my boundaries are. One day, you're going to wake up, and there's going to be huge failure. Because it doesn't happen in an instant. It happens gradually. It's like the, the frog in the boiling water. You know, I always try to tell you in a sermon, if there's one thing you take away, I think this would be it in this sermon. All this stuff is important. But the truth is we're most vulnerable to temptation when we're alone. We're unoccupied. And we're unaccountable. Did you pick up what's going on here? Let's read it again. Verse 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab, his servants, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon. But David stayed at Jerusalem. David was a warrior. He should have been out of battle. This is when the kings go to battle. He's not there. Not only is he not there, all his guys, the guys that have been with him all these years, they're not there. He's alone. Did you also pick up in verse 2, now when evening came, David arose from his bed. Now wait a minute. Usually when evening comes, you go to bed, right? 
David's now just getting out of bed. You almost wonder, you almost wonder, if you read the Psalms, David, you, you know, there are times really seem to struggle with depression. Is David struggling with depression? He's sleeping all day? Might be, I don't know. But here's the thing, you better know your trigger points because whatever that point of temptation is, that point of passion is, man, when, when you're sad, when you're, when you're alone, when you're isolated, when there's not joy in your heart, and now the enemy comes and he rolls that golden apple out there, whatever it is that hits that passion in your heart, and that thing, if I just buy that TV, if I just go get that house, if I just go buy that car, if I just watch that thing on television, if I just have that woman, if I just do this experience, it's going to bring me joy, and there's no joy in my heart right now. Man, you're most vulnerable when you're alone. David had 30 guys that he'd been with for years. They're all out of battle. David's alone. He's unoccupied. Folks, that's why I was thinking about this. You know, Jesus, Jesus never seemed in a hurry, but he was always going someplace. You ever pick that up in Scripture? He always had something. Jesus didn't have a lot of unoccupied time where he's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He was always engaged with something. That's why as a believer, why we serve the Lord. Because, you know, if we just do eight hours a day, the other 60 hours turning around twiddling our thumbs, what is the old adage? You know, the idle hands are the devil's tools. You know, because we, we're, we need to be engaged in service. In fact, what's interesting, we're told that Jesus was tempted, Right? Remember when Jesus was tempted? On purpose. Not, not, this was not a mistake by Jesus. But it was when he was alone, right? Man, how am I intentionally bringing people into my life that can walk with me, who can hold accountability? It, it's a huge piece. That's when we're most vulnerable. One last piece here. Talk about temptation, and i got to keep moving. And I want to be really careful because this is on David. I don't want anybody to think that I'm throwing David shade here because I'm not. This is, this is on David. But the truth is we got to strive to help others withstand temptation. Folk, again, let's look. Uh, verse 2. And he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So there's a couple things there. A... I believe with all my heart that Bathsheba knew exactly what was going on here. Because when you read about Bathsheba labor on with Solomon, she knew how to work the system to make sure Solomon became the king. She's not some dumb, just doesn't know what's going on. She does know what's going on. Her man is gone. I mean, come on. You go into a, a new house, you're staying, you know, you, you do an Airbnb and you go in the bathroom and there's a window there. Don't you make sure that the things are closed? Of course you do. You're telling me she didn't know where the king's palace was? By the way, her man's gone. That man is here. And who could see what from her? Sure she knew what was going on. I think she also knew that David had a weakness for beautiful women. Uh, and let's be honest, how many of you dial yourself up to go take a bath? It kind of appears she did that. David also sent for her. She didn't have to go. 
what's David going to do if she doesn't? I mean, that's going to out David. She didn't have to go. The reality is there's, there's responsibility everywhere. Dave, David is at fault, but Bathsheba, Bathsheba was not perfect in this. You know, Paul says in Romans, he says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, do not let us judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle of stumbling in a brother's way. I mean, the, the real simple one is just simply women, yes, we live in a culture that really tries to draw attention to the sexual aspects of our body. I, I get this. I go with my wife to, when she goes shopping. Not because I like shopping. It's actually, I'd rather go to the dentist. And I'm not a big fan of the dentist. But I like being with my wife. So I understand the frustration of what's out there and what they're making and, and, and finding something that's not cut too low here or too high tight here. I get all of that. And I understand that. And I also realize that, to be honest with you ladies, you could, you could wear a, a potato bag. They used to call them, you know, uh, uh, potato bags, you know, burlap bag over you. And to a person with the wrong mindset, you know, it can, it can do the wrong thing. I get all of that. But on the same token, there's wisdom here about how you dress there's also wisdom here for us who, you know what, we don't have a thing with things. It's not a big thing in our life, but God's blessed we get a new car. And, but how do we flaunt that? How, where do we put that on social media? Where do we put those things that somebody else, it may become a stumbling block to them. Got to be really careful about that. Then we move into sin. Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't hide the warts, but it does it in a PG way. Verse 4, David sent messengers and took her, and when they, she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. So, folk, I love this verse. It's written by Solomon, who, by the way, is going to be the second son of David and Bathsheba, right? He writes it in Proverbs, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten secret, by the way, why would you eat it in secret? Because it's too is stolen, is pleasant. The whole idea here is, yeah, in the moment, the moment, the moment. I mean, you could kind of see David. Now, get the picture. He's out walking. There's a beautiful woman. Notice the text even says she's very beautiful. She's taking a bath. She has no clothes on. And he's looking. Not only is he looking, but did you notice there in verse, uh, verse 3 it says, and David inquired about the woman and said, he didn't walk back in the house and, hey, you know, who's the woman that lives three streets over? There's a lot of women that live three streets over. You know what? That person has come out and they're looking. Oh, that is Bathsheba. That is the, the daughter of Eliam. Now, you know, that would have been one issue. But I'm going to tell you, his assistant knew exactly what was going on in David's mind. Because he didn't stop there. That's the daughter of Eliam, but that is also the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David, that is the wife. She is married. But they're looking. You can almost feel the endorphins kicking into David. He sends she comes, they sleep together. You see, 
sin intoxicates you. You see, it went from temptation. Ah, there's a naked woman there. I better keep walking. To, oh, there, I'm going to fixate. I'm going to enjoy. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, do this in my mind. It's now turned into sin. And the reality is he has a subordinate there to saying, she is married, David. Not only that, she's married to one of your 30 closest friends. Uriah the Hittite, later on in David's life, it lists the 30, the 30 mighty warriors that have been with David all his life from way back in the, uh, when, when they just started out. Uriah is one of them. By the way, how do you think this is going to play when all his mighty warriors, his closest friends, are out at war and David's home sleeping with their wives? How do you think that's going to play in the kingdom? Uriah the Hittite, David. Have you ever tried to talk sense to a person who's drunk? Yeah, I've done it once or twice. I don't try to do it anymore. It just... Because you can't, you can't get them to see sense. He can't see sense. And for that moment, that fleeting moment, sure, it was probably really pleasurable and really good. Problem is, sin only brings joy for the moment, and then it's over. Did you notice verse 4? So, in the morning, she leaves. It's over. It's done. You realize 3,000 years later we're still talking about this failure? But the moment was gone. It was fleeting. That's what sin does. Someone has said that sin will always cost you more than you want to pay, take you farther than you want to go, and will always hold on to you longer than you want to stay. That's what sin does. Be sure your sin will find you out. Remember, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret, it's good. <laughs> Solomon, though, says, but he does not know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. He's talking about the woman of folly that says, come, come, come be with me. It leads to death. It does every time. And then it leads to more sin. More sin. So, Let's pick it up. Verse, uh, what are we looking at here? Verse, uh, verse 5. The woman conceived. She sent and told David and said, I'm pregnant. Okay, so this happens. How long does it take? I, you know, I, when's the next period supposed to be there? It's not there. How long do you wait till you finally go, hey, I am pregnant? And all of a sudden, now we're in panic mode. What are we going to do? Yeah, this gets out. Man, I'm sleeping with my best friend's wives while they're off in battle. This is not going to go well. What are we going to do? Be sure your sin will find you out. It does every time. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. It happened. You know, that was one of the verses that my parents made me learn as a little kid. Be sure your sin will find you out. I always thought it was because my mom always knew when I did something bad. It was like that mother's intuition. But I found out, yes, mothers do have intuition. So those of you that are kids, remember that. But that's about God. Be sure your sin will find you out. It, it will always, it will entrap you. It, it always does that. And it leads to more sin. It always leads to more sin. Because now David's in a panic mode. What is he going to do? She's pregnant. 
So what does it do? It leads now to deception. So you begin to live a lie. So, so let's pick it up there. Then David sent to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When David came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said, Uriah, go on down to your house, wash your feet, sleep with your wife. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present got a feeling it was alcohol. Right? A present was sent from the king as he went out. Man, go. Why? Because if he can get Uriah to go home and sleep with his wife, he's off the hook. Because when the baby's born, hey, he came home. It's just how it happened, right? And all of that deception. How's Joab? How's the battle? It's all a lie. David doesn't care two wits about that. He's just trying to manipulate the, the situation to save his bacon. But you'll see Uriah was a man of incredible t integrity. Verse 9, Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord did not go down to his house. Now, look at verse 10. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house. Now think about that. Why would they tell David, oh, by the way, Uriah didn't go to his house last night. He stayed and slept with us. You know why they told him? They knew what David was doing. Man, David thinks this is a big secret. You know, he's trying to keep it down. He doesn't want anybody to know. They all knew. They knew Bathsheba had come in. They knew something was up. They knew that he was trying to get him down. That Uriah had to go down and sleep with his wife, and it doesn't happen. So pick it up there in verse 12. Then David said, Uriah, stay here today, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. David works up his next plan. So David called him and brought him in, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. Maybe if I get him drunk, he'll forget about all his morals and go sleep with his wife. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. You want to know what an honorable man David knew Uzziah was? Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in a letter, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be strunk down and die. David knew that Uriah would even be trusted to carry his own death certificate. He would never look at it because it was for Joab. That's the honorable man David knew Uriah was when he sent him to his death. Do you understand? Sin leads to more sin. Sin leads to deception. And the truth is it always leads to more people being hurt than intended. So now it's a matter, okay, we didn't mean anybody to be hurt. But now Uriah's got to die. You go down in verse 24, when Joab did what David asked and they pulled back, it wasn't just Uriah who died. There were other innocent men that died for David's sins. The baby's going to die. Joab now knows everything that's going on. He's got this over David. David's family knows what's going on, so they begin to sin with impunity. And at the heart of it, what happens to David's relationship with the Lord? You know, David wrote two psalms about this period in his life. One is Psalm 32. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. I'm going to suggest it wasn't just God's hand upon him, but that's what the enemy does. He, he tempts us. He says, man, nobody will know. It won't hurt. Oh, it'll feel so good. Nobody, you know, you, it just won't have any consequences. The moment you step over that line, then he turns around and he starts saying, 
and you call yourself a Christian. You say you're a person after God's own heart. How could someone who loved the Lord do what you just did? And man, he, he tries to run us into the ground. In fact, David said in Psalm 51, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're just kind of grousing there, and the enemy has got you so defeated. So let me finish with this. I only got a couple minutes. But the beautiful thing of this entire story is the reminder that the God that you and I serve is a God of reconciliation. He is a God of redemption. He, he makes bad things good. He forgives, he cleanses, and then he even sometimes takes those pieces of our brokenness and uses it for some good that we never foresaw. You know, th the incredible piece about this is the baby that David conceived in Bathsheba is going to die. Then they have another baby. His name is Solomon. Solomon becomes the one that God chooses to be the king after David. Solomon's throne will forever be the one. So now Jesus the Messiah comes from the line of Solomon, who is the son of David and Bathsheba. You see, our God is a God of redemption. He fixes these things in ways that we could never imagine if we'll simply turn to him. And we talked about this last week. How do you turn to him? Well, first of all, it starts with repentance. Repentance is that changing our mind. God calls it sin. We didn't call it sin. And now we come back and God, you were right. It was sin. And we confess it. And we confess it to him. And we confess it to others as David confessed his sin before the Lord. And you read into chapter 12 how God sent uh, Nathan and, and, and now David repents and he confesses and he tries to reconcile. And of course he can't reconcile with Uzziah. Uzziah's dead. But you reconcile with whoever you can who's ever open to that. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been the, you know, have been the ones that have been damaged because of other people's sin. You've got to learn to forgive. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. But here's the thing. Today you walk in obedience. You know, I'd venture to say that probably all of us have some stuff in our past that if we could go back and change it, we would do it. If we could go back and do it over, we could. The problem is we can't. It's done. You know, David couldn't go back and fix this issue. He couldn't go back to being on the balcony. Ah, there's a naked woman. Run! He had made the mistake. The failure was there. Most likely all of us have. I know I do. But what I can do is I can repent. I can confess. I can reconcile as best I can with those that are hurt. But today, today I can walk in obedience. Today I can follow Jesus with all my heart. Today I can choose to keep my passions within the parameters that God sent. I can't change yesterday. I can live in his forgiveness and his beauty of his redemption that my sin has been taken far as the east is from the west but today I have the opportunity to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here today. Maybe there's some of that stuff in your past and you just the enemy's been telling you God can't love you. He does love you. He died for you. He can't forgive you. Yes, he can forgive you. He'll wash all your sins. He'll bury them in the depths of the sea if you just ask. If you just ask Jesus to be your savior and then walk with him today.
And you might be surprised how that point of brokenness, failure in your life, God will actually use it in ways that will give him great glory and great honor.